Hello and welcome to the Comedians Outlook. I'm Luke Anthony and we are back with a bang. We've got Russell Hicks coming up today. It's been amazing. And yeah, I've been away for a bit. I was in Sweden. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to speak to the Swedish comedians that I was hoping to. Um, location, timing and all that sort of stuff. A couple of them were ill. Didn't get a chance to talk to them, unfortunately, but I did have an amazing time in Sweden. It's a beautiful place. Only marginally colder than, than the UK at the time, so it wasn't too bad. Um, some great food. I feel like I've eaten far too much food and yeah, I'm with the rest of you trying to work out how I can get fit again, lose a bit of weight and all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, I'll give it give it to the end of the month and see where we're at, shall we? Yeah. All right. So let's move on to the episode. Yeah. Russell Hicks. Oh, what a loose cannon. He's he just does his thing. He goes on and he just absolutely rips into the audience if it needs ripping into i remember seeing him at the comedy store years back and then 2014 where everyone had a particularly difficult gig and and everyone was heckled and i think he just went up he just went up and he just laid into the audience and ripped on every single one of them and it was just it was like one of the most volatile sort of rooms i've ever seen in in comedy like just the just just the fact that everyone was out to get the comedians and out to get um, Russell and everything. And he just managed to turn around by insulting them. It was incredible. And so he's all, I've always been interested to talk to Russell because I just I love that kind of free form comedy where you just go on and you just you just see what happens. And, and I think that's one really brave, not necessarily the most unique thing, because there's quite a few trying to do it at least. But he does it better than most. And and yeah, we we just had an honest chat, just an honest chat about comedy, about life, about why he does it, and we even got into to talk about Star Wars and Disney and stuff like that. So I really enjoyed it. Really, really great. Um, really good. And um, just before we dive into that, I just need to say that I had the absolute honor and the privilege to meet up with one of my favorite comedians and one of my favorite people in general rich wilson who you probably know is um in a relationship with jade adams he does a brilliant podcast called insane in the membrane and i was so lucky to be a guest on that and that's out now on his podcast so run over to his podcast insane in the membrane and you hear, hear me talking quite honestly and open about about my mental health about bipolar about being defrauded many many years back um with a bank and money and all this very complicated listen to the podcast it's great yes listen to it um i'm fortunate enough to to be put on the podcast to be released just after james acaster the legend that is james acaster but uh, so a hard one to follow but it's my it's my story it's my my account of my mental health and and there's a few little points out there if you, you're struggling with bipolar or any sort of mental health or anxiety that i sort of touch on there so please do go and give that a listen to but this podcast, The Comedian's Outlook, isn't about me. It's about the comedians I chat to. So please welcome to the show, Russell Hicks. It's how people how people see comedy different and their life different, you know what I mean? Like, And how yeah. it affects the way they, they do the comedy. And it changes. The way we do stuff changes over the years. Yeah. Just purely based on what's happening in our lives, what... Um, yeah, just, just yeah. Well, like I will listen to, and so will a lot of comedians, and they probably don't want to admit that, like whatever. But dude, comedians will listen to like endless comedy interviews, and yeah. we'll listen, and we're so hungry for it. Like, yeah, we'll take breaks, but then we'll like search the internet and we'll listen to some random obscure podcast because they had like Hannibal Burris on it and we want to hear what he says and we don't leave that podcast going oh another dumbass comedian but no when you're in the mood it's there and so you know what I mean if there was only three of them 
But that's what you want. I mean, that's the thing. Comics could talk about we like to... Sometimes we can't... We take breaks from it. Like, I'm, I'm a little tapped out of listening to it at the moment. But, well, no, actually, no, I'm at the... Thank you. Thanks, so um, I appreciate it. We won't call you anymore. Nope, that's it. But, uh, yeah, no, like, I'm. Uh, someone mentioned this uh, comedy podcast to me the other day, and I was like, I haven't listened to comedians' podcasts in, like, a long time. Mm. And I was... And so I went back to it and there was all these interviews I hadn't heard and I was like, yes, I'm totally into this right now. I love it. I love it when you get a back catalog and you can just go, yeah. like, just go through loads of them. Yeah, this podcast um, had like 50 people on it since the last time I listened. I was like, oh, hell yeah, I totally want to hear that. But you're, a, you're a full-time comic now. You, you don't, don't do a day job anymore. Mm-mm. I haven't had a job. I haven't had a job in like uh, six years. I mean, like, I don't even know the last time I had a job, really. I can't remember the last job I had was, like, uh, <coughs> which, by the way, to me, the only reason I said By the way, I'm a little ill, sorry. That's all right. Um, nothing bad, nothing big. I remember Rick Shapiro, one of the best comedians, like, that ever lived, in my opinion, is uh, um, he used to have this bit where he'd go on stage, and if he coughed, he'd say, I got AIDS, but I'll beat it. <laughs> which you, you just have to see the image of him but uh, anyway uh, so anyway yeah I uh, the only reason I say that about not having a job is because to me that me not have, have had to do a normal day's work is the equivalent of what most comics probably think would they would feel like if they had like a Netflix special like that was genuinely my like ultimate goal in life which is not to have a day to job to just not have a job and I don't really know why most why more comics don't say that or am I, am I the only one like that's what I realized about about stand up in general is I was like some people are very like specific about what they want yeah and it's really specific you know like uh, they'll say I want live at the Apollo or I want to be on Letterman and whereas uh, I kind of like pulled it back broader than that and was like well because those things are out of your control I feel like and, I, and so I felt like they were a bit when I was living in LA I felt like when you focus on stuff that's out of your control you get really frustrated you know, like if you think about it, if you're like trying to make someone at a bar like you, you're like, why doesn't this guy like me? You, you, you're going to make yourself miserable. You can't control that. So you have to make a broader goal and go, okay, okay, okay. Why do I want that guy to like? What do I really want out of that? I want to feel relaxed. Well, you can get that without that guy liking you. So like with stand-up, I was like, you know, rather than be like, why can't I get on the Montreal showcase or why can't I get, I was like, okay, what do you, wait a minute, pull it back. What do you actually want in life? Forget stand up. And I was like, man, I just want to like, I just want to live a life of leisure, man. I want to like be free to read and write and, and create all day. And like, and I was like, so then my goal became, okay, how do you get that? Rather than how do you get this specific career thing and they inform each other because if you chase the leisure thing and the life you're you're gonna naturally con- it, it goes hand in hand like you've got to get better as a comic so my focus was always on that because to get to that place of like that you want to get to 
you're going to naturally get things along the way. You know what I mean? And people will perceive it as destructive. Like, oh, you're like, oh, so you don't want this. You're a bit of a artist. Like, you know, you don't want success. No, no, that's not. Because you still get better. You're like to get it. And you will end up getting into clubs. You will maybe end up getting a thing. But your, your happiness and your goals aren't indicative on that thing. So what happens is, let's say you spend two years getting no TV, none of these nominal things that people say define you. But you led that life that you were after. You're happy. You got it. And so sometimes I meet people who are leading that life and are not happy because they didn't get the thing. And I'm like, dude, you're, you're missing it. You're missing. Like, what's the point of this? I don't know. That's what I think. That's a huge decision, though, because I think a lot of it is is my hesitation with you know going down that route to try and get autonomy is knowing that it takes 20 years to build a career to that point that you can like a you know normal sort of office job managerial role to get to the point to director level for you to then not have to work as much or then cash in and, and not ever work again so I think am I right in saying that with like when you came to that decision you wanted to do that was comedy the most obvious route for you to go down to, to be autonomous Oh, God, no. No. Did I start comedy to, like, because I thought I could? No. I I started comedy the same way that anyone worth their salt starts comedy. And certainly the people that I relate to, like, we were talking about Sean McLaughlin. I don't even know that he started this way, but I would bet you he did mm. because I feel, like, um, really connect. Like, I just can tell Sean's, like, uh, he's got that. Like, whereas comedy was, like, the last thing you did before you just like went into a life of crime or something you know like it's like for some reason it's the last it was like it was just it's sitting in that room like try that and you're like no no and then you try all these other things that you're terrible at which was such good experience like I was in a band for like six years and so I got to experience what it's like to think you're good at something and to chase it and to constantly get shut out of it. And then to juxtapose that with when I started stand-up and how much faster things were happening to kind of go, oh, okay. So when you start doing what you're meant to do, uh, the, the, as, as Ralph Waldo Emerson says, uh, when you find what you want to do, when you're doing something you're not meant to do, it's like you're in the sea and the ocean, the waves are just crashing against you. Whereas when you isolate what your thing is, the sea just parts and you just go. And like that's that's how it feels. Like obviously there's setbacks, but it's it was is motivating to know when I started stand up that it felt different than being in a band. And when I look back at a band, I'm like, yeah, I like I wasn't meant to be a musician. I was trying, was posing, you know, like I wasn't I loved music, I loved punk and all that stuff, but I wasn't like inherently talented at it like uh and and so like sometimes i see people in stand-up who are like kind of in that stand-up is for them what the band thing was for me and i like i never say this to him but i think in my head like this doesn't mean that you're not like you're searching for something like when i was in a band i was searching for that lifestyle that's what i mean i wanted the lifestyle i wanted to live like an artist and i and so, like, when I 
And so stand-up became the way to get it. And so sometimes when I see people struggling in stand-up, they think like if they don't become a stand-up, like then their their whole life is meaningless because that's what they think they are. And I'm like, no, 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 you're just on the journey, man. You'll find, you, there is something, you're questing for something. You think you want to be a stand-up, but what you really want is bigger than that. Maybe you want some kind of, um, maybe you want connectivity. Maybe you want a group. And so maybe actually what you want in life is a family. And you're not going to find it through stand-up, but that doesn't mean that in the broader scheme of things, you're you're go- you're not going to find it. Uh, is this podcast supposed to be funny? Because I'm not being funny. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty funny. That was funny. <laughs> I, I so, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I mean, and I just think I, sometimes people get so like they're so serious about it. They're like, if like a promoter is like, oh, I'm not going to book you, or they're not getting anywhere. They're like, oh. Because they've built this fortress. I am a stand-up. I'm supposed to be a stand-up. So if I'm not a stand-up, I have nothing. no soul. I'm nothing. And I'm like, no, no, no. You you are. You just... You might not be a stand-up, but that doesn't mean... That you, you're just going through this... You need to fail out of stand-up to find what you actually are. And that's why you see people who are like promoters now or someone's like a writer and they go I started as a stand-up and I'm like there you go so stand-up was the platform was the was the entry point to you figuring out what you were going to become later I mean stand-up's a great way to to speak out loud about the things you're creative about so it's a good starting point before you can start seeing like writing or a sitcom or something becoming something else so that's that stand-up's always a good way of gauging what's funny what what people do find funny and things like that and learning about it's a, it's a good it's a good way to write funny stuff if you do write or to even if you write on stage you still you learn off audiences don't you you learn what's funny and, and that can be transferred to something that may get made into a special or something or a play yeah or like you just like figure out what you are good at yeah maybe you start stand up and you figure out like I was actually, I realized early on I was better at like organizing things and I don't know, maybe that leads to something totally outside of comedy. I don't know, maybe you do a a gig once and there's a guy in the audience who's a venture capitalist and you start talking to him and you realize you're actually a a whiz at, you know, working the stock exchange and you go into another business. I don't know, you know what I mean? Like it's just, uh, it, um, I just think like there's a, there's a spot for everybody. It just might not be in what you think it is, what, what what you're doing now. You know, you might be searching for something else, I think. And I learned that from being in a band and like I could always go back to that and go, yeah, I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to be so sure, like, and then go, why am I not getting, and you know, and you see other people getting stuff like really easily and you're like, cause it, that, that's their thing. You're kind of like. It's amazing how many comedians, well, musicians once. I, I think we've all been, I've been a failed musician mm-hmm. as well myself. So. Yeah, I don't know what it is about it. I just remember being in a band, I was really uncomfortable. I never was comfortable. Like if I was playing, if I was playing like a, uh, the guitar and singing, I was really in my head the whole time. And I felt really insecure. Like every, because think about it. As a comic, people are just staring at you and you're not really connecting. Like in a way you're not, sometimes you are, maybe you have like an amazing show and everyone's dancing, but like, uh, yeah, that's why like when I do stand up now, it's like connection is important, whether it's like improvising in the room or whatever. And cause it's like getting those nerves out. Yeah, I've seen you, I've seen you do full sets based on someone standing up at the wrong time. 
Yeah. And you just the rest of it is just about that, and yeah. everything's on the back of that. I, yeah, it's an incredible skill to be able to just get up and do that. You know, it's um. Yeah, I just always liked that. I just was like really like drawn to that like early on. Mm. I I remember like it's funny when I started stand up. I hated the. I like was so those years where you like don't know what you're doing at all. I was like really uncomfortable in those years and I would get really annoyed that I wasn't that I had no idea what my style was I would say like two or three years went by where I was like I mean every night was different one night I'd try one liners the next night I'd do like uh, props you know and characters and I was like I don't just don't know what I'm doing and then you and then then like once you figure it out you kind of like missed those years where you didn't know what you were doing because it was so freeing and people could blow your mind. And I remember the comics that blew my mind was anytime I saw someone who looked like they were just free, like Rick Shapiro or like, um, who was like an American comic who just had material, but it just was so like, it just looked so improvised and genuinely blew my mind. I would say there was about three, three or four comics and I've yet to, I haven't experienced it in a long time, but it's such a beautiful feeling when genuinely blows your mind. Like you're like, what? Like you, everything is shattered. And I'm like, what was that? I saw one guy live who is totally unknown. I mean, he's still in LA, but and I, he was going by the name Joe King back then, Joe King, um, which is a Great. way, which is a way cheesier name than he deserves. He Now he goes by his actual name. Like, yeah, you hear him joking, you're like, that sounds horrendous. But he, seriously, and this is just, this can happen to you when you're starting out. It doesn't have to be a famous comic. doesn't have to be an HBO special. I just remember, I, I thought I was good. I was about two years in, and I was like, I'm good. I can get laughs. And then he went on and, like, destroyed the room. Like, he, there's, like, a way to do stand-up where I would say that shaped me completely because I, up to that point, I had been being clever and funny whereas the way he did stand up was you know that scene in the end of the matrix where neo jumps inside the agent and like explodes the agent from the inside yeah, yeah. that's how he did it he like jumped into the audience's minds and blew them apart and it was like whoa like it was material it was improv it was fucking around on stage just being stupid he would sing songs it was like insane and he blew like blue and i was like oh my god it was like you, you like what i thought was killing got expanded i was like oh i've never killed in my life that was killing that was absolutely destroying probably still to this day it's one of the hardest i've i could see someone kill and then i saw him like five years later i saw him bomb and that was awesome too that was <laughs> yeah. so great because then at that point once you're like eight years in Comedians, not in a schadenfreude, like, oh, I like to watch you fail way. There's, like, nothing better than watching a great comedian that you respect bomb. Yeah, because it gives you that element of, oh, my God, it's not just me, then. It is the big and the top top dogs. Yeah, well, it's more inspiring because uh, a lot of those guys bomb so gracefully. And to watch how they sort of, like, move under pressure is more inspiring as a comedian, like, later in your career. Like, when you you're like in you become more fearless because you're like i don't know how i don't know why and i don't know how to put it into words but like you go on less reckless because you're like well so what 
you don't care if you bomb now because you're like, I just saw like Superman bomb and it was awesome. I hope I bomb because I'm going to try to bomb as cool as he just bombed. Yeah, because the greats bomb magnificently and uh, it's not even a bomb, you know? There should be like a... a oh, they're getting the laughs that you get on a, on a standard day. You know, you, I see. I was talking to Rich Wilson a few, probably about a month now for the podcast and and uh, it's the same. You, you could have a really quiet and tough room and he would just... Even if he has a tough gig, he'll still grind out the last way he needs to get there. He'll change, he'll jump into the audience, like you say, like literally jump into the minds and he'll get something out of it. And even on a bad day, he has a good day, in, in everyone else's view. Like, it just, it just has that that likability that, you know, all that, that just, it's, you know, like you say, it is that freedom on stage, that knowing you can just do anything on stage and you can get something out of it. Yeah. Whereas, whereas sometimes, you know, you you could be you could think you're having a good gig, and it could just be as good as their bad gig. That's that's the great yeah, thing. yeah. I think so. Yeah, and I think that the way to like if you're bombing in a room, like the way to kind of like maybe you can't save the room, but the way to salvage your soul is <laughs> uh, you know you've got like okay Einstein's theory of general relativity, right? He says that basically. The universe or time and space is like is curved so actually like the planets are sinking you know uh into this sheet of time and space and so it's causing a dip and everything is like so and that that's what causes planets to rotate around it and stuff like that right i probably just butchered that but you get the idea right so what that says to me is that like the planet that's sinking into time and space is sort of an analogy for like relaxation so like if you're 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 trying too hard you're like pushing over the audience you're like your energy is like you you know what you need to do is relax into that time and space so if they're if you're feeling that pushback just go deeper sink deeper sink deeper you know that's like it like that's what i think like if you're dying like just like sink, draw them in draw, draw them, them in, in. Yeah. and a lot of times that means go slower let that silence like that silence is like dark matter and don't fight it let it just sink in and let it and let it get hard. more awkward because you'll come out the other side that's the key it's like a panic attack if you try <laughs> to fight it you're just gonna panic more let it get to the point that you're like i'm gonna die and then it's like boom you come out the other side and the, the greats will do that man like they're really the really good comics and that's like wait, sometimes you see a comic who doesn't get any laughs and you're like dude there needs to be another gauge for you know approval because like that was great you'll just think that was great and you don't even know it but i'm telling you i know you weren't getting laughs i know you think you bombed but dude you were great and that's why good comedians if you do what you want um i think you don't have to worry about like sometimes comics worry about what other people uh, comics think and stuff it's like you, you don't really have to worry because even if you bomb other comics will be like oh, i like that guy like if i watch bobby mayer have like 10 terrible sets in a row I would still tell people Bobby Mayer is great because I'm not listening to the crowd. I'm watching him. Yeah, deconstructing what he's doing. Instead. Yeah, I'm like, he's great. He's a funny comic. I mean, I don't care if anyone's laughing. He's funny. He's great. He's got a good... He's just like his his uh, attitude is there. Whereas like you can watch someone... And this is why some people... Uh, I don't see many of these people, but some people will like destroy and wonder why they're not getting the praise. And it's like, well, because we don't... you know. 
It's like watching the Big Bang Theory. I mean, the, yeah. the sound... Okay, look, I've never really been able to watch... I've been meaning to, but I can't get past the laugh track. It's like the Big Bang Theory is trying to sh- tell you how funny it is by having the audience on cocaine. <laughs> the laugh track is insane. It'll be like, Sheldon, what do you want for breakfast? I'll have some Batman cheer. And you're like, what the fuck, man? Like, this laugh track is like... Okay, you know, it's mad. I think if you, like, can't... So, anyway, that's how I look at, like, a hat comic. Is like, they're like, but did you hear the audience? I'm like, yeah, so what? So, yeah, if you So what, them. man? We're in Maidstone. Like... Because the thing is... is the, <laughs> Sorry, Maidstone. <laughs> beautiful place. Beautiful place. It's not, Very nice. Is it? I don't know. It's Maidstone. Yeah, I've been thinking about areas like that, like, going out there. I'm just afraid I'll turn racist. <laughs> like, Rochester. Hey, beat me too. You just can't help it. Like, you live out there. I've just noticed that. Like, people just... I was trying to talk about that on stage once about like how you move into like a provincial town and you're a liberal person and it just starts to happen. I've noticed. I've seen it in other people. I'm like, you're, you're getting a little weird now, dude. Yeah, it's not nice. It's the weirdest thing. It's like you take out any diverse... Like, I live in Acton. This is where I would lose people in London. I'm not doing bits on your podcast, but I was like, technically, I should be the most racist person in the world. <laughs> I'm surrounded by diversity, but I'm not. You know what I mean? It's like uh, people in London should be, if you think about it, why aren't we racist? You know, we have we live in the most diverse city in the world. However, you go to Rochester where it's freaking white as the white can be. And they're the ones that are racist. I'm like, to who? What are you talking about? (laughs) This is like a freaking like, what are you mad about? Yeah, You you have no, this is the, your utopia. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> I probably shouldn't um, say half-baked ideas that could potentially make me sound racist. Actually, now that I was saying it on the podcast, <laughs> I realized I realized why it wasn't working on stage. I was like, because it's not quite there, huh? It sounds like... I can cut this little bit here for you and you can listen back to it. Nah, it, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That would be cool. Yeah, send that it to me. It doesn't, uh, have to, it doesn't have to be. Because I get it why it wasn't working now. It's funny. I've been working on material more lately and I'm starting to like learn slowly how to the mechanics of it. I find them, I find that shit really tedious. I like instant feedback. So like the, the tedium of like why something does some people really get off on that they love it they're like oh if i change that word it works and whereas i'm like just fucking work i'll be on stage like just like the ideas in my head and i hate that you can't but that's the that's joke writing that's the skill it's like yeah yeah because that idea in my head the way i just did it now was actually better than i did it that i've done it before the idea that London people should be or, or, see the word should is weird but like London people should be raised and, and I people, think if you you know what I mean but if you don't convey that properly it doesn't work but however the idea is still good but if you can like say it the right way then everyone goes oh yeah it's funny man it's like nine years in and I'm like learning like oh yeah <laughs> joke writing yeah but, but yeah we're talking about the you speak about hack comedy and and you know people getting the, the laughs in the right place or they get might get the big laugh and the applause break well, laughing is an impulse. It's a thing that we laugh. So we laugh because we know we, either we shouldn't laugh or we not laugh because we think we should laugh. So with with like jokes, this is why one-liners often get a good hit rate because they say they, they get your setup set up and then um, go back and go punch line and goes back on itself. You go the opposite way to what people are expecting. Yeah. And that's an impulsive laugh. You know, sometimes it gets a groan if it doesn't work, but it... 
but it's the, 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 this is the difficulty with when you're telling stories or going up freeform because people still want last in the right places because they, they, they want to feel like they're a part of the whole thing the joke that's why callbacks work because you go da 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 and then a callback to an earlier story and it's it works I mean I think I've seen one of your sets where you you have called but it has been improvised completely improvised but you've still moved on from it and then come back to it remembering what happened in yeah set. so it's it, those little techniques are important I guess yeah yeah sometimes I can be way too callback heavy I remember when I did a set once and this guy went Jesus man callback city and I was like yeah you gotta save the callback but it is there it can be a really powerful tool and the end is great yeah the, yeah if I can call back at the end like that's nice that's I try to do things laugh. sometimes I try to tie them all up that's a good one if you can tie everybody up like if I was doing if I was improvising with a bunch of people and then like at the end you can just like pop 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 and then like put a little that's a good one um yeah so there's, there's that I try to save them now I used to call back a lot whereas now I think um, it can kind of limit where I'm going. Like it's like it it because it, it tethers you back. Yeah. So like now I try to yeah. improvise. Like Phil K is like really great with that. Where um he will he will like go further. Like he'll go he'll he'll abandon the call, but he'll just go way 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 out. Like if that makes any sense. Like he'll keep going with an idea until he's out of the room. I was thinking about that recently. It's like it's almost like a um, like a rocket ship, right? Where like you take off, and sometimes I stay in the room. You know, like I'm here. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about this, and I'm and I'm getting laughs, and I'm like this guy, that guy, this guy, that guy. But there's a way to bounce off of that and get out of the room, almost like out of this out of the atmosphere. And like Ross Noble does it, and Phil does it. Where you started, we're in the room, in the room, but you tangent you you tangentially went off now into talking about something else and you're still improvising and the audience is still with you but you're out of the room now now you're talking about like i don't know whatever you know ross will go surreal phil will talk about his kids or something like and tell a story that probably just happened to him the longest form of misdirection you could ever come up with yeah it's like really uh and like that's really that's that's cool and I so like and and so what I again what I was saying is like callbacks are good but it's a bit of a crutch for me because if you call back you're pulling yourself back down like if you're like the rocket ship analogy it's like you're going out of the atmosphere then you do a callback and you come back down to like kind of where you were at because you just went we're back in the room now it's almost yeah. like it's like you went and touched the edge of the pool like when you're a little kid and you try to like swim yeah I whereas guess- I think abandon that Go into the silences because that can happen. You get you 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 kind of go 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 go, and they're laughing, laughing, and then you're you're like out in this atmosphere again, and the silence. But there's a the the silence is them listening to you. I think that is the most powerful thing a comic can get to after a while. As long as you can get that laugh at the end of that silence, that's the that's the that's the most as a storyteller because you do go minutes yeah. sometimes without a laugh because you're you're drawing them into the story, you're drawing them in, drawing them in. And then if they don't get the punchline, then you've lost your set pretty much. Yeah. Because if you don't if you don't get something at the end of that, then they they've wasted all their time. They've invested all this time and effort into getting into your story. But I saw a comic recently that just the story just kept going on, but there was no ending, and then they just sort of fizzled out at the end. And they just 
you, you kept waiting for it to go somewhere and then it never did and it was just quite disappointing mm. and the thing is like I think you will get the laugh it's so easy and yet we forget it a comedy isn't that hard actually but it's like it's like living your life like living your life isn't that hard but little things we just forget like there is um everyone always like asked me did you ever do improv no i never did improv but i read improv a one improv book called the truth in comedy and i read it when i first started stand-up and i i don't know why i'm always like hesitant to admit that um group improv has helped me in any way i think i have this like it's like the warriors where it's like we're like a gang man we're the stand-ups and they're the improvisers and i don't know why but it did help me because it's a great book and i made markings in it and i still have it uh and then one of the things in there was like tell the truth okay it's just be truthful and it is so fucking true no pun intended but like it tells a story about lenny bruce and it says that lenny bruce didn't get a laugh Del Close says he was watching Lenny Bruce not get a laugh for 20 minutes and then got a gigantic laugh in the end of it because it all came together. And it's true, man. Like, trying to be funny is the worst thing you do. If you just be honest, you might go, you might go through, like, two minutes. I had it the other night. I was talking to some guy in the crowd, and it was, like, not funny. But I didn't bail out and go, whatever. Just stayed in it, quiet, quiet, quiet. And then eventually something happened later that it was naturally came and it was like, it saved it. You know what I mean? Like, so I think that's the same way with the story is like, uh, I, I'm just saying like with the silence, like the best thing that we can do, and I think it's really hard is like to learn how to just be in the silence. I saw Billy Connolly on that tour that he just did. And he was on stage at the Apollo and he had like, um, He's got Parkinson's. And so, like, I think he, like, forgot where he was at. Like, it was weird. And and it just got deadly quiet. And he goes, uh, you hear that sound? Most comedians hate that sound. But I fucking love it. <laughs> and it was, like, the it was the coolest thing I've ever seen. Because it was pitch silent. And he, like, when he said you hear that sound, he let it be quiet for a while. And the crowd is like, what the fuck is going on? And then when he said that, it was like, oh, okay, you're the man. Yeah, and, and it, I saw and him two nights in a row. Did you? And, he, and I was kind of hoping because I guess he's different now. I mean, he's been around so long; his act is more solidified. I'm sure he was more loose back in the day. Um, and he did the same act two nights in a row. However, that second night was when he and that made it worth it. I was like, that was worth seeing you twice. That moment right there was. Was he one of the big people you wanted to watch? To because you're because you've gone none of your shows are the same. Like they they always they're always so different. You. You're going with, you speak about like improvising, you do improvise, you, you, you're you very within the room and and you just go on with a couple of ideas and, and just play with it. Is, is he one of your big inspirations for that? Yeah, he's definitely like, uh, I got into him later. He's not someone that you would be into as a, when you're just a normal person in America. You know, you reckon Billy is more like I would recognize him as, uh, and that's something interesting to remember as a comic later on as well. Is like how, you know, I knew Billy Connolly before I was a comedian as like an actor. I was like, I know that guy. He's in that and that and that and that. And then when I became a stand-up, it even took a few years to discover. Oh, he's a comic, and then even more to realize what he was doing. And yeah, I liked. 
I like him because he represents to me kind of a different kind of improvisational style where it's like, okay, cool. There's like, you can, you can riff on the crowd and you can do all that. But then like, he's like, he like comes out and he doesn't talk to the crowd. He just kind of goes and improvises stories and tangents and keeps it all on the stage. And I think a lot of that has to do with how he developed because I think Billy is an anomaly in the sense that I know he came from the folk clubs and stuff like that. But when he really started doing stand-up, he kind of was already in theaters. So think about that. Like, he began his development within a setting. I heard a story once that he told someone he's never actually been in a comedy club, which is incredible. He He's never been in a comedy club. He's like, he's just... He's only, he's like this other thing. He's only developed inside of a theater. So I sometimes think about that. I go, damn, I wish, wouldn't it have been cool? Think about it. Where did you start? In a comedy club. You started in a certain surrounding. Imagine if you started stand-up, you know, only in theaters. Your act would be a little different, I think. But I mean, who, who, can, who can do that? So yeah, I do like him. And I think he's underrated, really, stylistically. It annoys me because people will ask me a lot, like a, maybe a more mainstream person will go, you know, like just a random person, like maybe like an industry person. Who's your influences? If you say Billy Connolly, like to them, it's like you just said fucking like, I don't know, like some like a comic from the 60s. Like it was like a, like a Benny Hill, you know, they're like, OK, like it, like is he, he's considered like old, you know what I mean? But I mean, it's just stylistically, I think he's like absolutely one of the greats for sure, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, all of the all of the people, the big names now that are out, you know, even your you know your Frankie Boyles, your your Ricky Gervais, and all that sort of stuff. They and Mickey Flanagan, they're all inspired by the same guy. Like they they all wanted to have that free form sort of play on stage. Yeah, that's that that's all they they had to find their own way of doing it. But that's that's exactly how they wanted to do it. That's they they always wanted to be like that. Yeah, Chappelle is the modern day version of that for me. Yeah, like yeah. that's what Chappelle does. Chappelle and Billy Connolly same vibe like they're up there having a conversation like and you know it's material but it's like i always likened it to like a fondue like a chocolate fondue you know it's like it's got a a base but it but it melts and it like you know you know what i mean it it's like it's yeah so uh and eddie izzard too i mean like i was talking to someone last night about how eddie izzard's kind of like people consider him like old hat now like he's like from but it's like okay yeah maybe we've moved on but like also you can't discount like the the like how absolutely he changed like i think from what i can tell when that guy came out comedy has changed since then like he fuck i mean we all want to be considered that different even someone like daniel kitson is not as much of a paradigm shift as like an Eddie Izzard was or something. And then with like, ben, uh, um, with, with, um, Billy Connolly, what's funny is like, everybody wants to like, uh, especially the narrative that people want to put out in the industry is like, uh, comedy went like this and then it became alternative and then it came, but really Billy Connolly was actually alternative before it was even a thing. I mean, he was miles ahead. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I might find it, really strange that we put rules people put rules and constraints on comedy in that sense because really comedy is one of the ones it is the 
thing that's different to everything else where you have full autonomy over what you do on stage you know yeah aside from being a complete racist prick and or being you know homophobic or something outwardly homophobic and horrible to somebody or liable to someone aside from those sort of obvious things that we try and avoid you can do what you want and there's enough people in the world to to love what you do and to hate your stuff so you you'll split the world in half anyway so yeah. i don't just because edinburgh says that we all want to we want to have a about the 40 minute mark we want to have a nice big hard hitting emotional story that everyone gets on board with and then we have the last 20 and we 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 go funny again with it you know there's there's a formula that people followed and that yeah. made successful comedians for a bit and but really i think comedy and, and it's clear in, in what you do is that you just do what you want and if people laugh then great if they don't then that's not that's, that's, that's okay yeah but I look at it more I also think with the Edinburgh thing is like um, I don't like say uh, I know the 40 minute mark is a bit of a thing like but really I don't know I think that gets played out a little bit like the, the, that was a certain type of show that some people did and yeah we've all seen those ones but also, you can learn from the Edinburgh guys, too, because a lot of what those Edinburgh guys do, like, I aspire to that kind of thing. Like, I think it's amazing how James Acaster can be so prolific. And I think it's, like, Richard Gadd is, like, this, like, he's basically a one-man show. Like, he's, like, a thespian, you know? Like, that's... And, and so, Edinburgh is his... Is really the only place... He needs that place, you know what I mean? I mean, that's where he shines because, like, yeah, they're not going to listen to that in a comedy club. So it's great that we have Edinburgh so we can see him do those things. So I think, like, you can combine the two attitudes, like, it's like different styles, like kung fu. It's like you want the soul of the – if you're more of a club comic and you're like, bam, 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 bam. That's what I said about the hack thing. It's like if you do too much of only that, you can be a bit blah. But if you can combine the sort of, like, the best – of the intellectual Edinburgh shows. So you have like the soul of those shows with the chops of a comedy club. Like, yeah, that's like, so, um, yeah, I know people can get a little annoyed about Edinburgh and yeah, there's like a whole business behind it. But the truth is, man, if you look at that, um, if you look at the people who have won the award, it's hard to find fault in the main award. Like, the newcomer, yeah, maybe what, you know, okay. It's a little bit more like... Sometimes the newcomer is, like... It's like somebody riding a bike without training wheels, and everyone goes, oh, cool. You Like, look at you. You were standing up there, and you... This is going to make me sound bitter. But I'm just saying, sometimes... <laughs> sometimes the newcomer award seems like they're just going, like... Like, you, look at you. You stood up there, and you did stand up. Like... Wow, good job. I mean, if I'd have known it was that easy, fucking hell, I would have done I would have done the newcomer award like I wouldn't have done such a I did like a totally improvised show in 2014. Whereas the main award, and don't get me wrong, some of the newcomers like, "Whoa, holy shit, yeah, uh, awesome." Um, I mean like Natalie Palamides, that was a great show and all that stuff, but like uh the main award dude usually is like I mean, I'm like, "Yeah, that's that's awesome." Even the nominees, like it's uh so I get really motivated with that. I don't know what I was talking about, but... Um. No, it's just... I, I guess it was just saying that it was, you know, the alternative comedy thing, wasn't it? And it's it, it about about Billy Connolly and the, the, the freeform comedy where... Yeah, yeah. There, there was, it was a thing to do. And I'm just saying that people shouldn't think that they, they should have to do comedy in a certain way. The whole idea of comedy is that, 
is you, is that you choose what you do and you are writing it you are choosing how you say well it. I think it chooses you as well that's, that's the thing. true yeah it chooses you I mean and don't get me wrong some of Billy Connolly stuff is a little 80s like but it's about context you know like if he's on stage talking about airplanes you got to be like well it was the 80s I mean that's the thing with Lenny Bruce is like people are like he's not funny it's like well it just I'm uh, it it's context it's all about context like you you know what I mean it's from the 60s let's see how your stuff ages in 30 years you know I don't listen to the words as well. It's like, well, he's doing a bit about blah. It's like, okay, yeah, I know. That's... Okay, but but get aside from that. The thing that is timeless is the intent and the style. Like when you watch Richard Pryor... This is what kills me about Eddie Murphy. People will say about Eddie Murphy, they'll go, yeah, but he's just doing like... uh, what I forget what they say. They'll say like basically he's doing hack stuff. And I'm like... That was the 80s. Like, that was... He was... That was not hack yet. So, forget that. You're judging that. 30 look, years later. Yeah. Look, you're, you're judging the wrong thing. Okay? Because look at the style, the execution. That's what's timeless. If he were to start stand-up today, he's not going to talk about hack stuff that he was doing then. And uh, it just blows me away how, how some people genuinely don't understand certain things like they'll be like Richard Pryor was I'm like you just don't get it you don't see it like you're not understanding at all you have no context for what you're talking about I know it's a bit cliche to like point to Pryor and stuff like that but it's like dude you're talking about a guy like nobody the the way he was executing his act was not done at the time the way Eddie Murphy was like like dipping into like the way he ends the raw he does this like 15 minute extended character where he's his dad on the phone i mean like come on man or bringing bill cosby into his act like nobody was if you think about it that's almost a Stuart lee thing to to make fun of another comic in your special was not done in the 80s to say yeah this other comic's an asshole <laughs> and he was right so, yeah fair i don't enough, know like, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah i mean that's true i mean it's it's one of those things isn't it it's with with comedy it's so much about it's such a it's such a um uh um I can't if I've lost the word but it's just it's it's very it's very specific to you comedy it's I think it's a very personal thing comedy like when you when you laugh at something you you're laughing you're, you're laughing because you've been brought on this journey and I think that's why I I quite enjoy the the um the turning of stories because you you're you're making friends as you're doing it on stage you you know like you're in a pub. Uh, that, that's why you've always got to think about it is that you're talking with friends and you, you are the funniest when you're having a chat with a mate right but if you could do that with your friends that are in the audience then yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's even nicer because yeah. everyone's in on it everyone's everyone's enjoying you know the, being a part of this, yeah. this this room this group and these are the things that are happening like I mean you shouldn't be so analytical like me like sometimes I can be way too I've like forgotten what it's like to just casually absorb any sort of media which I like but I mean I'm an absolute dork like I mean like when I watch a movie I'm like I don't know what it's like I don't I don't know what it's like to go see you know Hobbs and Shaw (laughs) and just go that was a great movie I can enjoy Hobbs and Shaw for what it is but I'm aware of what it is and it, it irritates me when people say something's a good movie. 
Because I'm okay. like, well, but you don't know what a good movie is. I mean, that sounds arrogant, but I'm saying, like, it's true. Like, people will go, yeah, I saw that. It's really good. Um, well, no, it's not. It was intent- It was entertaining. It's not a good film. I mean, a good film is like, you know, I don't know. Like, I'll tr- I was trying to think of something recently so that I don't sound like such a back in my day. But, you know, a great script or whatever. Like, it's the same way with stand-up. Is like, uh, the certain... I think it's important to kind of like remember that as well. Like we get so into stand up and we're like, that's why comedians all love Stuart Lee. Cause he's like, he's for the analytical. Like we look at him and go, Ooh, he did that. He did that. He did that. But like most people, when they watch comedy, the average public just want to enjoy. Doesn't give a fuck what you're doing stylistically. (laughs) And so I think you got to kind of pull back from that as well. And just kind of just do like, cause you talk about the hack thing is like, I was thinking about how, uh, I think it was Louis C.K. Actually, <laughs> it's so funny. It's like, it's like you're like um, it's like it just must be how classical composers feel like when they try to talk about Wagner or something because they're like, Ugh, he hated the Jews, so it's weird. But anyway, so Louis C.K. Like he said something about like he'll do a hack bit and know he's doing a hack bit, but he'll indulge in it. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of a thing too. Like it's like there's an you know breaking the rules like if you know it's hack but you get to a level that you're like I don't give a shit like I'm gonna indulge this for a minute almost like with a wink like yeah I'm doing a hack but like it's funny that it's hack I mean you know what I mean it's like there's a difference yeah it's it's one of those things though isn't it it's with with uh, with with like films and stuff and and music and and all that sort of stuff, I think people um don't want their bubble the the bubble to be burst. So you notice with with like a film, it could be you look back at it now and you watch it and you listen to the dialogue and it's shite, absolutely shite. Yeah. Right. But then it depends when you watch it. It's like it's like Lion King coming out. Right. I I didn't really enjoy. I I still enjoyed the new one. I but I still prefer the old one because it found me in a time in my life that I was I was young. Yeah. Right? It was the right time for me to watch that movie. So I'm obviously I'm always going to be nostalgic and cling on to that. But somebody now watching the new Lion King and then remake it in 20 years time. Yeah. The kids now are going to be saying, "Oh, this is the Lion King because that's when it that's that's when they saw it at the right time. They were a child. They were they were naive. They were meant to watch that film at that time. So yeah. you miss all of the the, the wrong bits about it or the, the 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 bad structure, the bad script, all of that sort of stuff, the music problems or or, or some of the some of the slightly um, derogatory kind of references they have in some of the the early early films. It's it's just it, it's, it's it's one we shouldn't condemn things for things. We have to remember that you enjoyed it because of who you, where where you were at that time. Yeah, right? and 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 what it meant to you at that time. No different to music. There's music that I love that I don't even re- they're not really my sort of music, but because I was going for a particularly moving point in my life at that yeah. time but it still means a lot to me and I still enjoy listening to it because it brings me back to a moment where I had a, a turning point do you see what I mean yeah um, yeah completely man I that's funny man you just opened up a whole other thing that I could talk about where like got a little while. yeah well I won't go into it too much but this will be outside of comedy the, the, the thing with the Lion King stuff is okay first of all yes I was a kid I saw the Lion King I loved it as well um, I also have a theory that people need to, and I'm not judging you at all. I'm just saying, like, I'm talking about other people who still hang on to that movie as if it was like, it's like, it's a time and a place, you know? Um, but with the new one, 
this is the thing people go oh that's the Lion King see th- there is a difference between our generation and the new one in the sen- and and our relationship to the generation before us is we weren't really remaking like a lot of our generation in the 90s okay when I was like a kid we weren't repackaging the 80s we were like a totally different thing okay so whatever so the whole Disney thing with these movies and stuff and how I don't I wonder if people will say that's the Lion King for me I think the new generation that's what Disney wants you to think they want they want to make a new Lion King for them I think the old the new generation will actually watch the original and go no that's actually the better one because it was the first one and it was whatever I mean I don't understand how you can even okay what I'm trying to say is like there's this like corporate repackaging of stuff that I don't think I I think that and this is just a typical trend any any media outlet any any corporation any TV channel thinks the public is stupid it's almost like it's insane comedians as much as we ostensibly loathe the public in a way like we actually believe we're optimists we believe they're smart otherwise we wouldn't go on stage and try to give them something good so what I mean by that is like they they're making such crap and they don't think people they don't think kids get it but I think they do like Star Wars the last two Star Wars the certainly the last one the last Star Wars is probably one of the most embarrassing films one of the most embarrassing displays of cash grabbing greed I have I mean it's fucking unbelievable man like like this new guy by the way the dude that helped write it he's got this movie Knives Out now have you heard about that movie <laughs> nah. alright so I, I read too much and it's getting all these rave reviews I don't remember this guy's name but I want you to know right now you're dead to me I'm not there's no way you're coming back from what you did to Star Wars that movie there's all this like that whole movie is a commercial for future Star it's, it, the whole movie is set up to make more Star Wars movies it doesn't service the story in any way there's no it's not trying to make a good film it's got it's eye all the way on like it's, it'd be like watching a comic do product placement in his act you ever seen a comic go on stage and say something really out of place like so I was opening for uh, the other day and it's like why'd you say that or like you know what I mean I could see like a comic in Edinburgh maybe say like it has nothing to do with the story but they'll place in like I was in this um, BBC writer's room and anyway the coffee there and then it go, it's like why'd you just say you're in a BBC because you I was you, in a cafe it doesn't really matter yeah because you, yeah. you I think you just tried to you know there's in you just tried to drop in that you're doing what and I guarantee you there's people out there who believe that kind of stuff they go look man you should do that you should drop in because there's industry in the audience I'm like that you've diluted the entire performance now like you've tainted it to me and uh, that's what the Star Wars is is like it just made me so fucking mad dude I know, and I know that this is the problem if you speak out on stuff like that you sound media is very listen corporations are going to be around forever people say it's going to be cockroaches after the bomb goes off it's going to be a fucking Starbucks logo because they um by the way I love that you just <laughs> I'm getting so fired up he had to pull the microphone away from my mouth <laughs> um it doesn't miss his trick I was trying I was trying to do no, it no no it's just funny 
All right, I know I'm going off on too many tangents, but what, right, I, I'm just saying. This, but I'm saying, like, if you say you, corporations have already made the 36 year old white guy who grew up in the 90s. They've already branded us as out of touch, and I. That's because they've defended themselves against us criticizing them. Because if I look at me right now, I sound like, and everybody out there, they've already got a title for me. They go, "Ah, you're just old. Ah, you're just out of touch." No, I'm not. <laughs> but I can't say that because they just think I am. I'm telling you, man. Yeah. There's I a mean, difference, dude. There's a difference between the original Star Wars, which was like thrown out there as like, let's see if this works, and it did, and a movie that's made with things dropped into the whole movie. Watch that movie. Every 15 minutes, they, they basically say something that is a metaphor for... Um, you know, we've got to let old things go and allow them to be new things. Dude, That what that means is, hey, kids, let's have a new franchise. Like, it's not, I don't know. Fucking I, think, I think I see what we're getting with this. You know what I'm saying? You yeah, know, definitely, yeah. I, we have a lot in common on this. I, I think what it is, is that I, I don't think the younger generation, as you say, are as stupid as yeah. they think Yeah, so like they watch that and you don't think they see what you're yeah. doing? They fucking see it. They want a good movie. Just yeah. like all humans, make a good film and you'll get another franchise or whatever. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So they'll still go back to the originals because they're better films. Not because... Yeah, not I don't think just because you're 19, sorry to cut you off, I don't think because you're 19, you're that dumb that you go, oh, the new Lion King. I mean, maybe you'll get a box office right out of the gate, but like, I think eventually they're going to still be susceptible to whatever was quality, you know what I mean? It's just, but Disney's classic like that, though. It is, it is known for that, just literally getting a cable and just feeding it straight into your brain with shit. And then... And then you believe it because it, it does say all the right things at the right times. So, yeah. And you have noticed it over the last, probably the last 10 years, I'd say, where they're just rehashing the same stuff. There's a new Aladdin coming out. There's there's everything, everything new's coming out. And it's just redoing everything. And like Marvel's done it. They've fucked it over many times where they've just, they, they, they've missed the story. The X-Men, what the fuck up that was? Where the story didn't even link up. Like, what was that? They, the third re- well, they reboot everything, don't they? So they restart as if nothing had happened, and we're like, "Well, we just got, we just got to know these characters." And they yeah, say, yeah. "No, oh no, he's still alive. Xavier's still alive. Is he? Well, he died in the last one, you pricks." <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think like uh, the Marvel movies, I have a different view on because uh, everyone criticizes Marvel movies, and what I love about comic book culture is that we like comic books, and we don't care. We just want to see them. So it's like, this is a phase. Movies are going through a phase. And this is the comic book phase. And comic book fans are going to enjoy this for as long as it lasts. And then, because it'll be over. And then we'll go back to reading our comic books. Because what we really like about it is the fact that we like the idea that we got these, like, superhumans doing incredible things on TV. That's, yeah. We want to immerse ourselves in the stuff that we the impossible the things we always wanted to be we wanted yeah. to be the guy that saved the day we want to be the person the ladies like you know is yeah. is and vice versa works on both both genders it's fine it's just it's one of those things isn't it it's um you just feel you you, you feel like something is possible when you watch those those films and that and that's what yeah, they're about yeah. it's slightly different to the lion the um, lion king and the disney complex i guess but yeah i think it's like I, i'm kind of like I'm kind of like cool with the comic book thing because I, I think most comic book nerds are because we like we get it. We know what's happening. We know that there's a lot of money to be made, but we're still just like, yeah, but it's comics. It's cool. 
and it will go away. I mean, comics go through, a, and the comic books kind of deserved this and needed it. It saved the industry, and so we still have the books. That's the thing, man. Comics are still amazing. So I don't really get into the. I mean, I know what Martin Scorsese was saying when he said like comic book movies are just, um, you know, theme parks and shit like that, and it's totally true. Uh, I mean, that's the thing. You can't. You're pissing in the wind if you try to say to Disney, I mean, they're a business and they're like a massive conglomerate problem. Yeah, they're a conglomerate. Like, uh, I, I know that I know they want the bottom dollar, but I just think, um, ironically, sometimes I think it's bad business. It's leading to a crash, I think, because you can't build a house on shit and not have it tumble eventually. So I don't know. So, I mean, they maybe make, you know what I mean? I'm just saying, like, if you keep you should make something good as well. The takeaway from this, guys, is don't build your house on shit. Yeah. Because it's bad art and business. Yeah. If you want to look at it the business way. Because a lot of people think I don't... I mean, you know, business-minded people will listen to me talk and go, oh, well, you're just out. And I'm like, okay, well, let's use your view of the world. I'll, I'll tell you, it's, I don't think it's a very good way to operate the way you look at things where you're like a good because you because eventually people will kind of go eh sucks kind of sucks I don't know but I mean fucking hell Disney owns everything like it's insane but it's great because you're now living like an Amish you don't have to have a day job and you're a full time comedian I don't live like an Amish but I'll tell you what though I went to America and I took the train and the only it's all Amish people you take the train in America. Americans don't even know we still have trains. <laughs> it's just not a thing. Trains in Britain, oh man, it's amazing, right? But it's all Amish people. And you know what, man? Those people look like they're having a good time. They're enjoying themselves. I was like, all right. Aside from the beard and the hat, I think I would, in- I would like... Oh, and the work. I would not... I wouldn't be a good Amish person. But uh, I don't know what I'm saying. But I just think it... Yeah, those Amish people, they're onto something. They're onto something. If we can have a little bit more of that free will and... A little bit of Amish. You know, I would say, yeah, a little Amish and a little bit of capitalism and that's that's all right. Disney should be more... We need need, need our pharmacies and our our shops. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I mean, I love my Netflix. Like Netflix? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I need my TV for sure. (laughs) Just the TV. I would, so I want a hippie van with a wired up to a TV and yeah. I'm good I can get to gigs with it yeah I wouldn't mind living in an Amish compound but I'm the only one that's allowed to use electricity yeah the only one yeah yeah and the internet otherwise it'd be quite slow I think that would be great <laughs> so that's that's my ideal lifestyle really man I feel like this podcast is wrapping up did you um have you have you, have you got behind social media yet I, I understand you, you're, you're a bit I, we're, we're, I hate I hate the fact that we have to use social media to promote shit yeah well I'm actually tired of banging on about it now because I've actually realized like whatever this position I appear to have taken on it has uh, made people think that I'm like uh, some kind of absolute barbarian like someone said to me the other day like oh, I'm gonna email you that uh, I know you don't really do email like I know you're not I know you're a technophobe and you... <laughs> no I'm not mm. what are you talking about of course I check my email like I do well I barely check it but I mean like I'm saying like 
I just I don't I don't know how to put it into words really because if I say oh I don't do social media because I have it now but see even when I say that I feel weird because I don't really the comedian Russell has the an internet billboard that is his social media and I've like put some shit on there or I get someone to do it and like uh, but like I don't know me personally yeah I just like I don't find it intellectually stimulating no so, but I watch tons of documentaries. I watch all this stuff. I love, there's certain forms of technology that I'm like up in big time podcast. But like, I just, I don't, uh, it, I mean, and this goes back to like back MySpace days. Like I wasn't really into that. I just don't. MySpace is all about, all about, what's it called? Bebo. <laughs> or whatever man like I mean I'm just talking about way back in the day like any any of those platforms I just never really found like it was like reality TV it was like yeah, yeah, it was yeah. like okay this is a bit like too much of this isn't really good for you and um so but like I guess I've gotten to the point now where I like have some uh it's up there because uh I got a new agent and they were like yeah you know it's good to have it up there and I get that that's the thing I get that it's good to be up there and like People would go up to you after shows and go, where can I find out about your gigs? And it's like, having a website was just kind of awkward. It was like, uh, uh, log on to my mailing list. And I was like, well, this is stupid. So yeah, I was just like, well, no, go on that. But that's really the extent of it. I'm not that active on it, you know. Um, what's your next plan? My next plan? Yeah, what's your what's your hope to get out the next sort of next few years? Where, um, do, you, where do you want to go? What do you want to head to in, in comedy? Uh, yeah, no, I just think, like, I just keep, I just keep, uh, trying to get better, doing what I do, and also I, um, I like that lately I've been getting opportunities to do that in, uh, better arenas, more pristine, like, and that's what I love, is, like, I was basically saying, like, for a while I wasn't getting the opportunities to, to try, um, try out in, like, like, you know, certain auditions or, like, you know around a certain caliber of acts like and it's not even like a career thing it's like it again that's the way i operate is like to me it's like it's great to like be able to be funny around really funny people like if i'm on a bill with like just incredibly original acts or if i'm in a an audition for something and it's like a panel or something and there's a bunch of amazing acts like I get artistically, I'm like, this is great because I'm like, just, I'm having to work with these guys. Whereas other people might be like, this is great because it's going to get my career going. It's, it works both ways. It's just how I see it. So I get, I'm getting more of that stuff and like, it's just good. So I like, uh, keep doing that kind of thing and, and just see, see where I end up, man. I mean, I, I, I think I'm, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what's right for me. It fit, I'm, I'm happy. I like, I, I basically want to end up like Bill Murray. I really like with your own comedy club. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. I really like Bill Murray's uh, the essence of like a like a Bill Murray, where it's like he just lives out in the middle of nowhere, and people call him, and I don't know. It's just it's all good. It's great. That's it, man. Thanks just for joining me, dude. Thanks for having me. 
So that was Russell Hicks. What an incredible episode. I really enjoyed that. Look, go and follow him on social media. I know he's not a huge social media fan, but, you know, just at Russell Hicks. I think he's got two S's at the end of it. All the information is in the show notes. And you can go and find tickets to his show on the end 24. There's also a link to that and his website and all that sort of stuff is in the show notes. Go and, go and check him out. He's You won't be disappointed when you go and see his, his comedy. But coming up soon, we've got some, I've got a return of President Obonja coming up to, to discuss politics and um yeah i've got the glass eye boys who i had on i think it was episode 14 quite a while ago now we're now bear in mind we're now episode 40 with russell hicks episode and they're going to come on individually because they do they do a comedy club in suffolk a very good one in ipswich area and it's called glass eye comedy and they're like a trio and everyone sort of gets to know them like a trio and as a trio but they've all progressed in their own ways and in their own right and really well and quite fast so I'm interested to get them all back on the podcast, but separately. And I'm going to chat to them individually about their comedy and why they do it and their mental health and all that sort of stuff and their life and comedy and shit and everything else. So I'm sure they're going to be amazing. So please do check those out when they come in. Just just keep an eye out for those because they're going to be really good episodes. And I, I think it's going to be quite exciting to talk to them individually because they do fantastic a fantastic comedy club together. But they're also absolutely brilliant comedians too. So stay tuned for that. We've got loads of other people coming up. We've got one of my heroes, Spencer Brown, coming up soon. We've got um, so many of the great comedians lined up. We've got Stuart Goldsmith um, coming up, who does another great podcast called The Comedian's Comedian that you may have heard of. He's coming up soon as well. So, But yeah, so stay tuned for that. I've got so many great guests coming up. I've got some really, really cool names coming up soon. So so do please rate and review this. And like I said in the in the preamble, my episode with Rich Wilson on Insane in the Membrane is an great, it's a great episode, very revealing about me. So please go over to his podcast and like and review his podcast and listen to to my episode with him. It's it's um it's it's an important chat that I had and it also saved me a huge therapy bill. So um I appreciate that too. And yeah, just just keep smiling, be happy, be safe, love each other. Thank you so much for listening and speak to you soon. Hello, I'm Luke Anthony. Do you love hearing about the stars, careers, lives and mental health? Well, Meet the Stars is a brand new podcast all about that. Join me every week from Wednesday the 2nd of December for an excellent conversation with a different star each episode. Simply go over to members.starevents.online to become a member, which gives you exclusive access to every episode and so many other brilliant features just for you. See you there.